Welcome back or welcome to another episode of the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Man, we are back. We're active. We're outside. We're here to give the people what they want. That's right. It is New Year. This episode will air in 2024. So another 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 year of the On Coaching Podcast. We just keep cranking along with conversations that uh, that hopefully coaches like. You know, whenever we do this podcast, I'm reminded of um, something that a good good friend and colleague, and uh, actually a uh, Division One coach, Wendell McRaven, who got his team to nationals, NCAA championship on the women's side in cross country this this past fall. So, congrats, Wendell. Uh, which I don't think people realize is, is I know, South Central region, blah, blah, blah. But it's super hard because, you know, all the schools down here, like A&M, et cetera, you know, I'm just going to say it. We, they don't sink a lot of money into the distances. So often what you're doing is pulling together, walk on small scholarship kids, trying to make it all work to uh to knock off uh some of the schools that that do put money into the distances so wendell awesome but one year you know gosh about a year ago wendell told me i love your podcast because it is two it's just like two coaches having a real conversation it's like you guys at a track meet you know talking and that's what we're trying to do that's what it's all about here so here's to another year john of us uh having real conversations on coaching and not getting caught in the fluff and not really caring about, um, you know, how many listeners, uh, although we have a lot, surprisingly, um, how many listeners and growing this thing based on, uh, on chasing the candy, but instead going deep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, this is just real stuff, right? Like I was um, talking with Jerry Schumacher the other day, you know, he and his family were up in Portland for the holidays and, you know, he w- does a lot of walking now. We used to do a lot of running together, um, but, you know, his hip's not as once a, what, what it once was. So now, so every now and again, I'll bump into him and his wife walking around like the Nike campus and stuff. And I'll just sit and walk and talk with them both. And it's like, you forget how energizing that is to talk to not only a friend, a mentor, but also a peer who's kind of going through the similar stuff as you. And, you know, we talked a lot about uh, just the growing pains of inheriting a new college program and starting off in what looks like year one to a lot of people, right? Your first year on the job is actually like year zero. When you start a new program, like year zero, you just like getting a lay of the land, you're figuring it out. And it's the same for any kind of new uh, endeavor, right? I mean, I'm sure Steve, you can test that with being uh, having being a father for the first time, you know, in year zero, so to speak, or even, you know, student athletes going to school, transitioning to being freshmen in colleges or post-collegiate or what have you. We often think it's like this turnkey situation. And it's like, no, development takes time because orientation takes time. And that's really the thing is like, take the time, right? That's always been our message. Take the time to invest in yourself. That's why we made the scholar program with all those, uh, you know, courses as resources and then two added the component of this clubhouse so you actually get get feedback in real time from peers as well as steve and myself like take that time to understand like it's a long road it's not instant offense it's not success you know recruit a couple people in the transfer portal and in three months you're on top of the world like what wendell did was amazing it's a truly a you know bootstrapping um methodology and actually path that we as coaches especially in distance running need and must take in this era you know always have and always will it's not going away anytime soon so it's just understanding when we see things like that like esteem it champion it celebrate it because yeah that's hard-earned success and we love to see it and hopefully we see a lot more of that from listeners and uh, scholar members here in 2024 you know i love it and i'm just gonna give a shout out because you know uh, Wendell did a great job. My wife actually ran at Texas A&M uh, for Wendell way back in the day. And um, to show how hard it is one year, and everybody kind of discounts the South Central, but one year um, they missed going to nationals on the women's side because they missed the tie break. 
So they, they tied for second when my wife was on the team. Uh, but they, if I remember correctly, they're, they're, it's the same old problem. They didn't have kind of a fifth runner, I don't believe. Um, so it, it kind of, and then they did, their sixth wasn't <laughs> whatever. So the, the, uh, they didn't have a fifth runner, so they tied and lost on the tie break. But I think it was that year, might have been the year after, you know, they sent two individuals who both my wife and another athlete who were both all American. So they were obviously quality enough uh, to go to compete. So it was nice to see them get the full team there for the first time in, gosh, I don't know, decades. But anyways, that's what we're all about here on the On Coaching Pro uh, podcast is real coaches doing real things and tackling real problems. It's not just as John said, dealing with the lead elite, bringing in, you know, transfers and it all working out. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. Cause we're talking about the athletes hierarchy of needs, getting the basics down first. What are we talking about often when it comes to coaching? We think, Oh, if we just get those workouts, right. If we just get the periodization right, if we just master these things and get the right progression of the workouts, like everyone will improve, peak, and we'll do the thing. But if you talk to any coach, you realize that if you don't have the basics down, if you don't have that foundation, you can have the perfect workouts and it won't come to fruition. It won't connect. They won't improve to the rate that they they need to. And if you look around, this is what the really good programs do is we get distracted and look at their training and all that stuff. And yes, their training's good, but we forget to, to look at that they are providing the foundation for their athletes. And I think, John, you had a brilliant way of going about this, which is just look at the, the basic you know, needs of a human. Maslow, you know, outlined them decades ago and said, here's here's the blueprint, which is pretty dang accurate on what we need. And what we can we can do is actually apply that to uh, to uh, athletes and runners. Yeah, I think, you know, Steve, like I was thinking about this here, you know, last week and uh, in the digital ether. There's a lot of stimulus and inputs that are, you know, trying to doctor a belief in us that success is sexy, success is uh, exciting, success is a lot of novelty or all this, you know, crazy new drills or workouts or what have you, right? Things that catch your eye. And you know what? That's actually a lie, Success is really boring. I mean, what does success look like? It looks boring. It looks super duper boring. As someone who has, you know, lived it, been around people who've lived it at a high level, like it's the most boring thing in the world. And if you're not like signing up for boring as an athlete and as a coach, you're not signing up for success. Because what happens, right, is we end up uh, getting distracted by the new shiny thing a lot of times. And we forget that you, if you don't, you know, do the basics brilliantly, you really have no shot. And that new fancy widget, gidget, technique, workout style, philosophy is not going to have the impact you think it's going to have. And then you're going to, and then you as the coach, and then the athlete are going to ask the question, well, why isn't the training working? And this is what this podcast is designed to be is an exploration and answering on a basic level and a remedial level, why isn't the training working? Not because it's not double lactate or double threshold, not because it's, you know, not enough mileage, not because it's not enough, you know, uh, flux style work, but just basic levels to rule out first. Why isn't the training working? Which I think we often skip a lot in this day and age. We do. And I think you put this well, and I'm going to just copy it is if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which at the bottom is physiological needs, then one level up safety needs, one level up love and belonging, one level up esteem, top level self-actualization. The workouts are often that top level. That really small, small bit at the top, like yeah. the, 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 fractal, the fractal infantile 
like smallest part. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the top level of okay, we this is the top of the pyramid. Let's put the finishing touches on. Let's put it all all together. That's kind of what it is. But that's where we put it, all of our attention, unfortunately, right? <laughs> yes, we do. So we do. And I think if you're hearing this and being like, oh, John and Steve are saying the workouts don't matter. No, that's not the case. We're saying they do. But if you don't have the foundation, Pine, you, the, you, it's not, it won't matter. You're not going to improve as much as you can. And if you say, oh, that's not right. All the workouts, like they're the be all end all. What I would challenge you to do is look around and see how many people have run fast off of a variety of different workouts and plans and schedules. And yes, there's commonalities, all that stuff. But if there was a master plan, an optimum workout, you know, periodization, blah, 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 then, you know, it would, uh, it would beat everybody else in terms of improvement, but it doesn't. People run fast off of all sorts of crazy stuff. They run fast off double thresholds and they run fast off of very little thresholds, right? They run fast on high mileage. They run fast on moderate or low mileage. Like they run fast on running two days a week and cross training the rest or being Cam Levins and running, you know, 180 miles a week. It happens. And the thing you want to think about is I always like to decontextualize the enterprise of training and development and think about it in more simple terms that are more relatable. Think about reading a book any book. And we all, you're assigned the whole class, the whole team, all runners are assigned the same book to read. And you're like, all right, read the book. And that's it. That's the only direction given. What we do in training, right, is then other people have different methods of reading the book. And some methods, you know, are a little bit more um, succinct. Some are a little bit more helter-skelter. Some allow for a greater retention of the knowledge in the book or what happened in the book. How I read a book, for example, right, is like highlighter and pen, highlighting passages, taking notes. I still read a physical book. I tried the digital book. It just wasn't as good, you know, um, as a lot of people did. And they realized it just wasn't as quality of retention. But that's what training is, is like, how do you read a book? Now I want you to go in and try to read a book and imagine being on little to no sleep for seven days in a row. Imagine being really anxious and stressed out and always worried. And then imagine being hyper distracted by pings on your cell phone or worrying about what this person says to you, says about you on some comment on some digital ether, uh, you know, app that doesn't matter. Right. And then also be dehydrated. Right. Think about the quality of retention in that way, like just fundamental, like basic lack of sleep, lack of attention, lack of hydration about how well you can read that book. We all know you you, you will kind of quote, quote, go through the motions. Your eyes will scan the words on the paper, on the page, but that retention won't be there. The actualization of transfer of knowledge about what the book is saying that gets into your skull, that gives you then a way to interpret and see the world won't be, won't hit as high. Right. And that's what we're talking about with training. And that's what we're talking about with basically success is boring. And this athlete's hierarchy needs, like it's kind of a callback to basics, right? It's not sexy. It's, it's not six things that's going to help you run faster in the new year that you're going to see now, like, you know, proliferate around the interwebs. It's like, Hey, are you sleeping eight to 10 hours a day going to bed at, you know, at regularly at 11, 10 o'clock, you know, as many hours before midnight as possible. And have you done that for a month, four weeks in a row, 28 days? And if the answer is no, then probably your new latest, like, you know, sexy, amazing training scheme that you are subjecting yourself to, or you're wanting to put onto your athletes, probably is not going to be as potent as you wish it were. And it's probably not the answer to the problem of coach why isn't the training working exactly so i think if we look at it like that sleep is what is that the bottom of the pyramid it's that physiological needs like if you're not getting the sleep the recovery the rest that you need you're not giving yourself that foundation on which to handle the stress which is what training it is and then adapt or bounce back recover and adapt to it 
So I think I think step one is often, you know, look at their lifestyle in terms of sleep, nutrition, hydration, like those things that we all know matter, but often kind of give, we say it, and then we don't like give it credence. We don't say, okay, what what, what does this look like for you? Like, are you in a good spot? And I would, I would argue also, if you look at um, a large, you know, a decent amount of maybe un- overtraining is often underfueling because you're not providing your, your body enough to, again, go through the process of recovering, repairing, adapting, because we know the body needs adequate energy stores and adequate protein, you know, to repair, recover, et cetera, et cetera. So it's that nutritional foundational base that allows you to adapt. If you don't have that, you're not going to adapt your muscles. You're going to literally have to break down your muscle to give the, you know, provide the energy it needs to keep going. So all of those basic physiological things, if they're not in place, you're not going to you're not going to adapt to the workouts in the way that that you know you should. And that's that's really true. I mean, you know, a quick example is just my wife who last couple of years as she's inched here towards being a masters and turning 40 like, you know, the body's changes as we age, right? And she was struggling a little bit with like an injury cycle or lack of energy and then we kind of realized like, oh, maybe you need to up your protein intake a little bit here and maybe double your protein. Right. And sure enough, like after that kind of just very simple nutritional intervention that was habitually and steadily, um, you know, compliant for over the course of several weeks, she's all of a sudden feeling better and recovering faster and running workouts quicker. Right. And it's, it was like, yeah, maybe that was a contributing factor, not the, it's always multifactorial, but looking at that from a whole piece of a, uh, stepping back and zooming out and looking at it from a landscape type panoramic view is really important. And I think a lot of times, right, we'll have a goal setting session and the athletes are, all right, what are your goals? And they'll say some time or they'll say some achievement uh, level. And it's like, cool, okay, here are the workouts to get to those goals. But I think in this day and age, we as coach need to have some sensitivity to saying, great, if you want to run you know, sub five minutes in the mile as a high school, female high school, middle distance runner, you know, well, here is what also not the amount of units of training that have to do the paces and all that kind of stuff, the tempo runs, if you will, the, the flux workouts, the reps, what have you. It's also like, do you realistically have the time and space to get this much hours of sleep to have this consistent amount of nutrition hydration in and quantifying it out to a certain degree. Now, again, nutrition and all that stuff is personal, but a general scope of saying, are you around these parameters? Are you in this ballpark? And some people might be like, yeah, no way, Jose, I'm not even there. And that's the thing is we always see these outliers who perform despite and then we go, oh, see, they, they, they're performing at a high level and they're not doing X and Y and Z. But remember, those are so few. Those are like people who hit the lottery. Like it's like seeing, oh, that person's rich. Well, how they get rich? They hit the lottery. Okay, that's that's my like you know scheme to now make wealth and get rich is to just buy lottery tickets. It's it's probably not a good strategy, and we have to remember that that those outliers are lottery winners, and it's not something to like hang our hat on and say, ah, see, that's documented proof. You don't have to do this stuff. By far and large, ninety nine percent of us do yeah it, it exactly i think that that is like it's understanding the foundation and if we skip that step you know we're gonna it's gonna come back to bite us so if we look at okay the sleep nutrition the the you know hydration all that stuff that is the foundation for athletic performance that is foundation for adapting if the we go basic, one level, basic physiological needs, we're talking the yep. ground four physiological needs. If we go one level up, right? Maslow called it essentially, you know, safety needs. What what are those? It's the personal security, the sense of security, health, 
you know, all of that stuff in, in terms of overall life. I think for us, what that means, safety needs for us means as athletes, it means stability in in life. In life, right? yes. Stability in life. It, it means are you bringing like stress, chaos, like into your life? Do you have a place to, you know, to reside that isn't chaotic? Do you have, uh, again relationships in your life that aren't chaotic do you have you know uh, the stability or as we'd call it like are you living the runner's life where it's again the lifestyle of prioritizing sleep health all those basic physiological needs and not bringing into the like all this excess of of stress do you have some degree of um, certainty because we know that uncertainty is the stress amplifier and of course we all have uncertainty in our lives but in this case like for high school or college kids you know do you have a path forward do you have stability in your home life like all of those things contribute to whether you can adapt or you can't i think this one you know is going to be one of the harder ones to communicate to athletes is also well for athletes to be compliant with right and i use the word compliant because talking with our good friend alan bishop who's over at university of houston still with the u of h men's basketball team right everyone knows him as like the nutrition meathead and really dialing that stuff in but he'll be the first to say like these ideas are all great in principle but it's like it really is getting the the athletes to be compliant with it and, you know, forfeiting or foregoing, like, you know, just eating only Skittles on the weekends and, you know, smoking weed and drinking alcohol, right? Because those things just wreak havoc on our body and they ruin it and ruin its ability to adapt and respond and get better. And when we think about these, you know, the second level, that's the level just above the basic physiological needs foundation, the stability needs is the way I define it is super simple. It's fewer inputs. It's saying no more. And the runner's life, right? You know, we talked about once runner recently in a podcast in the book, the hermit life, so to speak. It is just saying no more. It's just fewer inputs, which is so hard to do now because you have on your phone, you know, however many apps that give you however many inputs, multiply it out. It's squared to the root of whatever. And it's an ungodly amount of inputs, right? But it comes down to this, like to success is boring and boring success means fewer inputs and fewer inputs means saying no to a lot of things. I said no to a lot of things in high school and college because I looked at what were my goals saying, okay, I want to get this GPA. I want to try to put myself in position to run this at this level of competitiveness or this fast you know, I want to prioritize my relationships with my girlfriend. And so that meant no to a lot of other things. And it's not bad or good. It's just trade-offs, right? And did I miss out on some things? A hundred percent. But were those things, things that, you know, in the long run, ultimately going to advance my position in life and give me a springboard to, you know, get to the next step and be successful? Probably not. I mean, I don't know how many people just chilling at the party Friday night, Saturday night, up to whatever. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so glad I just were always chilling at the party because now look at me. I'm, you know, a, a very successful entrepreneur that's doing all this stuff and is very organized and very detail oriented and have all this time and, you know, uh, dedicated to my work and have this quote unquote work life balance. Like it, it doesn't exist, right? That's not real. That's fantasy land. So you got to say no to a lot of things. And be okay with that because the things you say yes to, you're totally excited and geeked about. And that's like, you know, you love it. And that's what we mean by living the runner's lifestyle. And, you know, here, I think this is probably the hardest, hardest thing to do now. Because, you know, John, when you and I were growing up and getting into running, it's like, you know, what did the inputs were far less, far fewer. TV and video yeah. games, right? But those were like, yeah. those were turn on, turn off. Like it wasn't like this idea that it was connected to anyone else. Um, 
I mean, sometimes in some ways, TV, because, you know, it was like a shared experience to watch Seinfeld at eight o'clock on Thursdays or whatever. Right. Because the whole nation watched it. And that was like a shared experience or this one big football game. Right. That was always on. And then you could use that to talk about next day around the water cool. But now it's so, you know, diffused. You don't have that anymore with like television. Right. Exactly. I think what it was is the the draws were more um finite meaning you you knew you were going to watch the football game on sunday or whatever it has have you at at x time um but now it's everything's more infinite meaning you can watch anything at any time and it draws you to it so back in the day even if we wanted to play video games or get on the internet like that basically meant you and i had to go to a specific tv where the video game console was connected or go to the the wherever the computer was in the house and like sit down and do it um and what that did is like yeah it was fun etc but it had a distinct like place which mean it had a distinct on and off time or place around it and i think now those pulls are stronger and there was also the back in the day we're going to reminisce here is like you had to organize things to go hang out with your friends. You know, it was kind of like, Hey, after school or after practice, you'd have to be like, Hey, we're going to meet at X place at Y time um, to do, you know, Z Um, because you couldn't just, it wasn't easy as is easy to kind of organize it all on a group chat or whatever it is that it is now. Um, is playing phone tag with everyone. But what that does is back back in the day, we had what I call friction between things. And that friction allowed you to have, like turn things on and off, right? So the inputs, it's not like everything was drawing you at once. And now with instant access to everything and everyone and whoever we want and Instagram and TikTok telling us what other people are doing to create a image of, like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing X, Y, and Z like this influencer is. Like, what am I doing with my life? All that does is it distorts kind of the stability in our 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 life. It pulls us in all these different directions. And it pulls our mind in different directions where we say, oh, I I could be doing this. Well, I I should be doing that. Um and that just pulls us in again, way too many interactions. So we don't have that stability, security, and focus on the things that that matter most. You know, I I remember way back in the day, my high school coach telling, giving us the speech that, hey, guys, there's only a handful of things that you can do well at once. Like, choose wisely. (laughs) And and the point was pretty simple is like, yeah, we can be a great runner and a great student, maybe. But we can't be a great runner a great student like the most popular kid going to all the parties like you know great at whatever our job or entrepreneurial skill is we can't have all those things at once it just doesn't exist there's not enough time in the day um so we had to pick like pick our pursuits and and i think that still applies only nowadays there's a thousand things pulling at us where back in the day there was a couple dozen yeah, and this also, it's the culture of easy, too, is convenience, right? And again, this is just one of the signs of the times that we live in. And we have to have two feet in reality as coaches and understand the students and athletes we work with. You know, the spaces they're coming from with the expectations they're coming with is this idea of convenience, right? And con- the culture of convenience is about easy quick, a lot of choice, a lot of variety, but more it's like, you know, instant offense type situation, right? And you see clips on, you know, your basically your social media, digital ether stuff, which is like, do this check mark, don't do this X mark, right? And it just shows you, oh, it's it's that easy. If I just change this right away, I'll get instant results, right? Because that's what that signal is giving to you. But that's not the case, right? It's, it's you know, nothing's ever easy. And we do this all the time. We make these compromises, right? We say, oh, after junior year, it's going to get easier when I can just coast. Or after, you know, even in life, after, you know, my kid turns three, it's going to get easier. Or after I graduate from high school, it's going to get easier, right? Some, after I get through this 
stressful period is going to get easier. And, you know, the reality is that's not life. There's nothing easy about it. It always is hard. The, the, what changes, right, and the same thing with training, is we get better at handling hard. And that's what training is all about. You get better at handling hard things. So you make it to the naked eye. It looks like it's easy. Like you see these world-class athletes doing their thing on the track. doesn't matter the event. It looks super easy. You're like, oh, it looks easy. No, no. They're just really good at making a handling something that's very hard. So it's not disturbing. It's not an insult to their body or their system. But that took hours and hours, days and days, weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years of focus and dedication and saying no to a lot of things to make it happen. And even though we are in, live in this really proliferated environment of inputs, right? Uh, the the truth is our uh, neurology, the physiology of our, our, our you know, um, hardwiring and our our brain and how we operate and how we interpret the world is still a millions year old, you know, vintage, right? It's the evolutionary impulse has not um, of how we think, how we act, how our body responds to inputs and what we're capable of doing has not, you know, accelerated at the same rate, even closely with our, um, you know, input capacity of, all the interconnectedness we have now through the digital space. So it's important to understand, like it's also about highlighting the need to disconnect from the digital space, disconnect from the digital ether, turn the cell phone off. Don't use it at certain times, get away from a screen, right? Just disconnect. And the thing is, is when you disconnect from the digital space, life again gets really boring. If you just say, I'm going to say no screens, TV, computer, cell phone, right? Or smartphone or what have you, you go no screens between these hours and you just make that commitment and you try it out for a month, right? You, life gets boring again. It's pretty, it's, it's boring pretty quick. <laughs> but if you say, oh, I'm bored and I want to alleviate the boredom and I need a dopamine hit. Well, that's what screens are all about or a quick dopamine hit, right? And this is a key thing to, again, this stability um, level is understanding like, do you want just to have this cycle of dopamine and be subject to that and have that define your existence? Or do you actually want to get out and go do things like be outside as the young folks say, right? It's trade-offs. You can't have both, you know, or have both successfully. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. And I think that actually ties into when we get to the steam category or phase as well um so let's let's work up the the pyramid here to the next section which i think is again a critical one that all coaches know but you know sometimes sometimes underestimate a little bit which is love and belonging and in this case on a team it's that belonging piece it's that friendship that connection that sense that i i feel i belong on this this squad this team and we know from research that tells us is when we have a sense of belonging not only does do we feel less stress but we can handle more of it because it changes our perception of what stress is if we're if we feel like we are connected like we belong it will literally change our perception of what hard is which is kind of what you just talked about there we will there's been studies that show if you take people and stick them at the bottom of a really steep hill and ask them to you know go up it if they're with friends or loved ones they will judge that hill to be you know uh less steep and easier to 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 climb. Why? Because connection and belonging, we essentially share the load, right? That includes the stress and the thing that we're, we're going off of. So think about that from a workout standpoint, is if we're going into workouts, the same workout can be perceived entirely differently based on do we feel connected to this team? Do I belong on this team? Or do I feel totally isolated and alone feeling like I'm going at it with no help, nothing here, right? And I would, I would often, I would also say that this is why, this is not the only reason, but often why you see athletes sometimes struggle when they go from college to professional, 
especially if they had that that team dynamic that was really in sync on the college level and then they go professional and say join you know maybe they don't join a team maybe they join a team that doesn't connect maybe they're off doing things on their own and they struggle for a bit because that team camaraderie that connection that belonging which allowed them to get through the workouts day after day after day week after week and month after month and handle it because you had people who cared about you uh who wanted you to succeed um you know for intrinsic reasons not just you know for money or finances or what have you um they had those people around you so it allowed you to share that load to buffer that stress and handle and adapt to more training loads mm-hmm. and you know the same transition happens from high school to college yep. as well right and there's a lot of amazing college coach or high school coaches who are doing amazing work to create that tribe if you will right and that's the thing this love and belonging is this idea of a tribe of being on the in crowd right which its worst face can devolve in tribalism and tribalism is in the difference between tribe and tribalism is very simple tribalism for me i define it as when this the spirit of connection is defined as uniting against a common enemy us versus them these people are bad these people are going to scary right and we see that tribalism impulse a lot in the political space in this day and age because it's an easy way to rally people and connect them and get them together hey we're all afraid of the same thing and that fear impulse is really powerful and then you you compound it with the the connection of a tribe boom you got you got instant offense right you got instant um unity with a group of people but it, as we know, it can be very corrosive and doctored heavily. So versus a tribe, right? A tribe is us versus them. A tribe is about drawing a bigger circle around a common and inviting people to be united against a common idea or a common enterprise, right? Something for the good, the benefit of this group and not a a, a us versus them mentality. So we want to elevate everyone, educate, get them faster, get them stronger. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Come in. Here's what you have to do, right? And that as coaches, that's what we want to try to steam as a tribe where we create this connection and sense of belonging where we are lifting, you know, the tide and having that rising tide lift all boats of everyone involved. And that's why everyone on your roster matters, right? From your top athlete who makes you look like the super smart coach or, you know, gets all the the press and accolades, right? And the heavily recruited or um, esteemed one athlete on your team from, you know, that walk-on or that part-timer who is kind of just testing out the sport, um, you know, or someone who might have a lot of other commitments, but, you know, if you're coaching, uh, in the adult space, like, you know, that's like, Hey, I'm just doing this to get healthy and happy and improve myself and just give myself a little slice of Zen every day. I mean, all these people matter, right? And so it's the job on us as coaches is to figure out how to create an environment where we are consistently establishing and then not only establishing, but also, uh, recommitting, reengaging and re-enrolling that sense of connection. And it's honestly, it's very hard to do in this day and age is very, very hard to do. So it's not something where it's like, Oh, just do this. And, you know, we'll do that. Or like, here's some fun team bonding things, right. That you do just once out of the blue. It's how do you conduct yourself on a regular basis to maintain that sense of connection and then also strengthen it. You know, what you outlined there is what I'd call the cheap versus deep, you know, style of connection. The cheap is that fear of tribalism. The deep is the tribe. And it's so tempting to do the cheap tribalism. And I've seen it and heard it done with other, you know, athletes, friends, coaches, etc. Where, and I get it. It's the easiest thing to do. Create a us versus them. Create an enemy. Um, but it often, again, it backfires over the long haul because it's it's not sustainable and also puts you in this kind of like fear-based mindset. If you can create, create that deep sense of community and connection and belonging, um, that's the sustainable over the long haul. And I think the only thing I would add there is, I, I, I think, you, John, you hit the nail on the head, is it's not just 
you know, doing some team activities or bonding things. It's really the the culture you create. Like you create the culture where um, people feel they can, um, you know, be vulnerable, open up, be themselves. Um, do you create the culture and connection where people can talk about things, share experiences? Do you create um, an environment where it's that shared experience during the workout, during the races? Um, there's nothing better to bond people than seeing each other at their highest highs and their lowest lows and going through that with each other in a supportive manner. Um, do you create the environment where that's, that's you know, allowed to flourish or do you kind of stifle it? And uh, and if you can create that environment where it's allowed to flourish, good things happen. And that's that's also a product of just stability and coaching and stability and being in a, a role, right? And so when you transition to different roles or constantly, okay, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, it's very tough to get traction, right? Like that's why even taking a new position, e- even though it's in the same same town I live in, but a different uh, institution of education, you know, I already had like three, four years built up at the high school that I was coaching at before. And like, I had a good connection and a good role and a good community and a good, you know, we had a bunch of other core group of coaches there on the coaching staff, the head coach and the assistant, uh, the sprints assistant, like we have all been there. So like we had this stability interpersonally through us as colleagues, but also the student athletes at the high school level just knew, Hey, these are the, this is the distance coach for track. This is the sprint coach for track. This is the head coach for track. And that allowed, you know, just for a lot of this sense of connection because they saw familiar faces day in and day out, year in and year out. Right. And this is the key is also too, as coaches, it's, we want to try to like, if we go somewhere, ideally stay there for as long as possible because to build this is the only, the only way is for you as a coach to be stable in your enterprise, wherever that may be. You know, it reminds me of a study outside of coaching, but an interesting Hmm. study I ran, I think it was in North Carolina. They did this experiment, but with elementary school kids, instead of changing teachers every year, you know, you have a teacher for first grade, second grade, uh, for I think two or three years, they had the teacher move up with the students. So that your first grade teacher, then you got her or him in second grade and third grade again. And even though that teacher didn't quote unquote have as much expertise because they maybe had to learn how to teach third grade for the first time, um, the students in that model performed better than when they just went through the you know new teacher every year. And the reasoning, and they got this idea, I, I think it was from, you know, maybe Finland did this, one of those kind of Norwegian or one of those Scandinavian countries that does really well in education. And the reason it works is just what you were talking about there, John, is it's that connection, the stability and the relationship more than literally more than the expertise in the material you're teaching. And I think, I think it's, again, the same thing when we look at coaching is it's that stability in the relationships over the long haul that matters, again, just like the elementary school, sometimes more than the expertise and the, the X's and O's of the workout creation. So if it works in the classroom, then it works, you know, for us as coaches, we got to create that stability in those relationships um, because, again, that's what thrives. And again, I would say that's often why you see you know, good high school programs thrive because generally they're there for a while establishing that culture. And those kids know that for the next four years, you know, I'm going to have the same coach and we're going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. And, uh, and, and that's how those, those long-term programs like a York high school, like a Woodlands high school, you know, (laughs) like a Jesuit, like that's how they, that's how they, they thrive over the long haul and get better and better and better. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, like I was, you mentioned Jesuit over here and we've said it many times on the podcast, but you know, Tom Rothenberg was first to say like even year six into him coaching at Jesuit high school, you know, as a young coach, his top runner in cross country at the district meet was still eight guys 
you know, eight guys from the rival high school in the in the district were still ahead of his top runner. Year six, you couldn't fathom that now, right? After decades and decades in the role, Rob Connor at UP, right? That first year, I mean, I talked to him just the other day. His year zero at UP was facing very similar, um, you know, prospects as as we're facing at Portland State, right? the the lack of sports sponsorship the year before and just being on that line and teetering do you have enough bodies he goes yeah it sucked it was really difficult and you know he recruited a bunch of walk-on kids off of campus and he got through the season it was the hardest thing i've ever done but i never was um you know upset about it i never one day never a day was i not like oh this is i need to bail i need to not do this like he did it without complaint he says and then fast track 30 years later, plus years later, I mean, you know, everyone knows what UP is in the distance running community at the collegiate level. And it just is a testament to that, right? It's a testament to that longitudinal stability. And it goes back to this idea that success is boring. <laughs> it's really boring. Joe Newton, boring, right? Joe Vigil, boring. You know, all, all these people we can look at who have been in places for a long period of time. Even Jerry Schumacher with Bowerman, right? There weren't global medals for like the first 10 years of that group. And then it started to all click all of a sudden, right? Boring. Like it took time. And I think we always forget, like we crave novelty as humans, but it's only in spices. It's only like here and there. It's not like novelty on the daily. It's like a little novelty injected here and there is good. But honestly, we as humans create crave stability, consistency, and predictability. And that's really what Maslow's hierarchy of needs or the athlete's hierarchy needs is about is how are we creating predictability as best we can in what seems like now a really unpredictable world especially with all the inputs on the digital ether. But the more predictability you can create, the better you are going to be successful in the areas you choose to centrate and focus. Exactly. And that's why I want to go to the next <laughs> up the pyramid, which is esteem, respect, status, recognition, strength, freedom. And I think here what we're getting at is predict predictability in terms of what is valued. And I want to come back to something you said Earlier, when we talked about um, the uh, the safety needs, which is like, are you giving, providing stuff that is real or not real? Is it the fake, you know, shiny object or is it the real thing? When we look at status, recognition, strength, freedom, like that, even more so now, now is uh, is is vital because there's so many things. Again, we talked about so many things pulling us in different directions, but there's so many markers of of kind of status and recognition that I I'd say are like superficial or fake and not as fulfilling as doing the real thing in the real world. Or in our case, like setting up, how do you gain status, esteem on this on this team? Is it's not you know how many followers or likes or whatever you get is doing the challenging thing, like taking on the hard workout, taking on the race, like putting it all out there and seeing what you're capable of. Not even necessarily the the accolade or or whatever the time. But like seeing the status is seeing, you know, how how good you can be in orientating yourself around something that is real, that is within your control, which is your effort and like everything that goes into the racing versus something that is like, you know, superficial and um, and cheap. Yeah, it's the esteem level. Right. And this is pretty high up on the hierarchy and only can really be a game that's played sustainably and beneficially if those pre three prior levels are actually really well satisfied. And this is one of those things we fast track to, right? We fast track to the status. We fast track to the recognition. Hey, look, I ran this time. I got this place, you know, like I'm somebody because this mark, and that's what track is great about is it has this really objective qualifiers of time and place for us to look at how we are progressing or how we compare, you know, not only to others, but more importantly to ourselves. 
And you go back to like kind of Al Carius, right, at North Central College and his sustainable success over the 50 plus years he was there. And, you know, his book, Run for Fun and Personal Best, really demonstrated the, the spirit of the enterprise, right? If you run for fun and personal best, it's about enjoying the process, uh, you know, feeling like there's a sense of progress. And we humans need progress. It's just one of those things. And that's why track and running is such a great enterprise because it can give us a really tangible, you know, quantifiable sense of progress. And that then shows you like, hey, if I work hard, I get better, I run faster, my times come down. And, you know, it creates this sense of esteem and strength and independence that then you are free to kind of go explore the world because you you kind of have a map in your head that if I do X, Y and Z will happen. And that's one of the reasons why people get so addicted to running and why we but we've kind of doctored it, unfortunately, like a lot of things and put this on kind of like artificial steroids in the digital ether world where now every little, little thing, like whether it's Strava, whether it's this or that, it crims this like status, you know, recognition thing. Like, Oh, I'm the best on the segment now. And it's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Segment. What the hell is this about? I'm the best person at, you know, balancing a, you know, Tupperware full of jello in one hand and doing press-ups with the kettlebell on the other hand and one on one foot. It's kind of like dumb human tricks, right? It's like, hey, that's kind of, it's interesting, but like, what is it really, really doing? And it's these are, it's so artificial, right? That's the hard part is now we have to navigate between something that is real and something that is, nurturing and something that is truly provides satisfaction versus something that's an artificial superficial thing that doesn't really mean anything that's kind of like yeah that was cool and that's this hard part is we now in this space there is status and recognition for quote-unquote influencers who never do anything hard but do a lot of interesting little things as a type of um attitude or posture to esteem. And that's where we as coaches just need to say, look, I get it, man, a hundred percent. Like I, it looks like it's really impactful and important. And a lot of people are esteeming it and giving it status, but it's not fulfilling. It's not nurturing. And let's go back to here and let's see if you just commit to this type of enterprise or program of study or work you'll get better. And I remember like super clear as day, you know, one of the things, the turning point for me in college and like a lot of young people in college, freshman, sophomore year had really ambitious uh, goals and, you know, results that I wanted to try to achieve, but didn't have the mental map or the actual um, day-to-day actions in place to get to that space. And, you know, my young college coaches at the time who are now Andy Powell and Chris Billenberg, they sat me down and said, look, Marcus, you need just six weeks of consistency, six weeks of just every day, wake up, go do the work, like just focus on the things that you have to do and want to do and nothing else. Like just go to work, your work, say job, go to class, obviously. And then, you know, do your runs, do your lifts and just, just try it out for six weeks. And if you don't get a lot better, you know, we can come up with something else. You can, you can direct the training. You can do whatever, right? Cause like a lot of young people, you try to cope. Oh, maybe the training's not working for me. Oh, I'm, I want to go back to what I did in high school. Cause that worked for me. Right. So th- we made this deal. They said, give us six weeks. Right. And in six weeks, I went from a PR of 1530 in the 5k to 1415 in the 5k without super shoes, right? Like six weeks, just locked in for six weeks. And it just showed me like how even a small amount of focus and dedication to boring could in such short order produce such outsized tangible results that had a lasting impact. And I think that's where we look at in the esteem world is you want to recognize that, give status to that, have self-esteem and respect to that because that's true strength to me. Couldn't have said it better. I think it's the it's it's the vegetables or the candy. Like the candy is the candy is pulling us, but we've got to eat the nutritious 
food that that's going to give us sustainability over the long haul and fuel us and that's the distinction you're getting at there john um so i'm spot on i think that's very important nowadays especially as everything is pulling us towards the cheap fulfilling or not fulfilling candy um all right so we've we've gone through it the last phase or top of that pyramid as we hinted at self-actualization desire to become the most that you could be I think in this case, we're using this as a, okay, what do we have to do to, you know, achieve the goals? And that's the workouts. That's the things that like the work, the day-to-day, et cetera, that we have to do to, 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 to get better. But I think the point of this podcast is, and we've talked a lot about workouts in the past that again, it's great. They matter. But I think the point of this podcast is before you say, ah, I need to double check the workouts to see if like this is the reason we're not working, et cetera. Obviously, you have to look at those, look at everything. But start at the bottom. Do they have the basic physiological needs, the sleep, the hydration, nutrition? Do they have the safety needs, that sense of stability in their life, the lifestyle that they're running, the direction, the focus? Do they have that belonging, that sense of connection, the sense that like I feel like my people are here that I'm not living in a threatening world where I feel alone. And then do they have that real esteem, the good stuff, the vegetables, the right kind of status markers that we're chasing, not the superficial and fleeting. And it's all of those things that, that set the tone for how we're going to adapt and be able to do the actual work we need to do to get better. And you don't think like you have to master all of them. I mean, it's, that's not reality, right? Reality is about trade-offs and compromises. And sometimes it's just like what Steve and I would do with professionals when we work with them and they come to us as like, you know, their second or third or fourth, you know, post-collegiate coach. And it's like, let's look for the biggest gaps that could be addressed that will then affect in a positive way performance. Where are those big gaps? And that's where getting to know your athlete and getting to know the person you're working with is important. And sometimes the solutions are beyond your control. Sometimes it's like, hey, you know, it's there's going to be like a mental health need that is beyond the scope of your ability as a coach to address. And then that's where you have to work in partnership or at least support that athlete in getting and seeking those services, right? Always you have to remember too, the athlete must take ownership. It doesn't work unless the athlete takes ownership of their training, their racing, their process. Our job you know, with this kind of athlete's hierarchy of needs and addressing this as, from the um, position as a coach is to create guidance and awareness about the ownership or areas of ownership they need to assume. And I think that's also a really big thing in this day and age is we're not here to like pave the path of the jungle, right? We're here to say, hey, look, put your boots on and let's go through the jungle and we'll go in partnership together, but you got to walk the walk, cut down the, the foliage and take out the machete and create this path for yourself in life. We can't bulldoze it for you, right? And this is the era we live in where we have a lot of bulldozer parents or professionals who try to just make it a seamless, you know, unrocky and um, smooth ride. But like we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, right? There's no such thing as easy. All that happens throughout life is we constantly face hardships, we'll constantly face adversity, we'll constantly face setback. We just get better at handling the hard. And what and we see it in distance running, right? Five minute pace might have seemed like impossible as a freshman in high school for a boy to run even one mile. And then fast track 10 years later and they're doing that for six miles in a row, right? Or maybe a half marathon. And it's like, whoa, what happened? Something that was hard is now not as hard or you're just able to sustain it for longer, right? You're able to do hard better or you're able to endure hard for longer. And that's really a message we have to remember that we have a vehicle and opportunity in coaching to impart those life lessons. But again, it's 
step back and see the perspective of it. We want athletes to achieve. We want athletes to, you know, work towards creating certain outcomes for themselves or what we call goals and achieving those goals. But also too, we have to have two feet in reality and saying, it's not just an X's and O's game. It's an everything surrounding it game. And when we have awareness or bring um, awareness to that, then we are really empowering the student athletes if we're working in the scholastic landscape or the athletes, if working in the post-collegiate or club space or, you know, online coaching space, we really empower them to then make, understand the choices that are in front of them and then make choices that are conducive towards them reaching those goals and outcomes uh, versus being deluded about it and getting frustrated because success isn't coming in this arena because they haven't lined everything up and they haven't understood the hierarchy of needs that predicate the success. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. It's putting the whole picture together. And that's what we're trying to broaden people out uh, to be able to do so and not get trapped on the the narrow uh, workouts, etc., which still matter, but are just one piece of the puzzle. So there you go, listeners. We hope you enjoyed that. That sets your, your mind right as we head into the new year and start looking at indoor track and outdoor track and you know marathon trials and, and all sorts of fun opportunities to challenge yourself in both coaching and racing is we hope that you're taking time to zoom out and look at the big picture to make sure those basic foundational needs are there. If you do good stuff will follow.